Welcome to episode four of Two Indie Authors with me, Robert Enright. And me, David B. Lyons. And on today's show, Rob and I will be going into detail on why independently publishing your books is way more beneficial to you than going the traditional route of trying to land a publishing deal. We will also be answering a question posed in our mailbag about how to make your plot come to life. And towards the end of the show, the fantastic crime novelist Tony Forder will be joining us to answer our seven questions. Very, very, very exciting. Um, But before we get into all of that, before we get into the meat, David, we'll have our veggies. Uh And so how has your week been? (laughs) The week that was, um, I've, I've draft one complete. I'm done with my the first draft of my manuscript, which has taken me since July. So that's like July, August, September, October. So four months and a few days. Um, And unfortunately, you know what? I have boring answers for the week that was, and I have had boring answers for this section of the show since we started, because all I've been doing is concentrating on getting to the finish line of, of draft one. Normally I hope to inform our readers of the diverse nature of our jobs. Robert, but um, just for the past four weeks since we started recording this two two in the orders podcast, I've just been finishing my draft and I finally got there on That's excellent Wednesday. though. Such a great feeling. Yeah. It is a good feeling. Yeah, writing those words at the end, typing those um is, is always a bit of a, a, a mm. adrenaline a bit of an adrenaline rush. But um it's I have to go through the redrafting process now over the next couple of weeks because it's due with the editor in the middle of November. So I I, I would preferably rather give myself more time with the redrafting yeah. phase, but I've only, I've got it, I've to got it. I've got to, sorry, tripping off my words. I've got to squeeze that in over two weeks and I'd ideally like to give myself a month with it. How's your week been? Uh, it's been busy. Um, I finished plotting the new book. So like I, I foolishly committed to doing NaNoWriMo. Yeah uh national That's november right. writing month for those who i've been asked by yep. a few people i've been getting messages from people saying what's nanowrimo <laughs> oh that's this um yeah so the plan is to write the next sam pope book this month i'm gonna give that a go I've, i don't see how why i won't be able to do it um i'm about five thousand words in now since the start of the month so i've done the first nice. couple of okay. chapters um, but outside of writing life um just you know because we're not can always rock and roll david i've been helping my mother-in-law <laughs> and uh, her husband decorate their new flat so i've been painting ceiling i, I believe i sent oh. you a picture of me covered in paint at one point that's right covered in paint right oh so you were doing the mother-in-law yeah i'm being a good little boy i'm i'm to be fair yeah. they've helped decorate like when we've moved houses they they've come and helped decorate and they're in their seventies. So I kind of thought, well, I'm a sprightly young mid thirties boy. I can hop up a ladder and paint a ceiling. So. Yes. Well, when you, when you get, when you do something with a mother-in-law, you get double brownie points, right? You get brownie points from the mother-in-law brownie points. It's from just the all about, you know, so it's, it's, it's marginal gains, isn't it? It's, it's <laughs> that, that's, that's, yeah, marriage. that's marriage. This is welcome to the marriage episode of the two indie authors podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to marry yeah. daughter we're, we're gonna tell you how not to piss off your wife there you go <laughs> i mean i wasn't was, was i told well, you so... just before we before we did this that my my two and a half year old daughter apparently hates me now so you know there's we could do an episode yes. on that <laughs> we could do that we we have yeah we we were both married me and rob we've a lot in common we're both married we did very well for ourselves and we both have daughters. Mine is six and a half, and yours yeah. is two and a half. Oh yeah, we're we're Robert, both yeah. wildly punching above our weight. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we did. We so, we somehow landed on golden tickets. But um, yeah, um, uh, but apart from the painting of the mother-in-law's ceiling and the beginning of is this sample? Yeah, 10? so nine, nine's with the editor. So I've started ten straight away. Yeah. 
So 10 is starting now this November. Anything else in terms of the in the auto career? Any marketing I, uh, yeah. changes? So or... I've got a really good ad that's been going on for months now. It's got over like a thousand likes. It's got hundreds of comments and it's it's been the ad. I think I've mentioned it before. I, I had the ad that, that exploded yes. it. It's, yeah, this is a Facebook, a Facebook ad. ad. And yeah. I redesigned the, the, the basis of the image and I got it branded. But so instead of having just like a silhouette figure, I've got the figure of the guy who's on my covers and it's all in the same color scheme. That's right. However, yeah, I can't change the image on that ad without losing all the social proof. So I've yes. had to start a new key. ad, which is going quite well, but I'm not at a point where I want to like boost that one and reduce the other one because the new image is much better. But yeah. obviously I don't want to essentially cut off the hand that's feeding me at the moment so i'm i'm just Absolutely. doing a little I've, I've kicked that off this week so over the next couple of weeks i'm gonna sort of because obviously it started at quite a high cost per click because it's a new ad but it's gradually coming down and i think once that comes down to the same cost per click that i'm getting on my really successful ads i might kind of yeah. switch the budgets and see if i can maintain at this better ad the same or even better what i'm currently doing so a little interesting yeah. project from the sort of ad side of it so i'm happy to update you on that how that goes over the next few weeks yeah i've been messing around with my ads as well this week it, it seems my ads are working um i i it's a bit of a roller coaster my facebook ads for, they always bring profit i'm very fortunate that way but um, it's this part of the year where they sort of they don't bring as much profit. I like to bring, if I'm spending £100 on ads, I like to bring in yeah. £200. Sometimes that £100 will only bring me back 150 Sometimes I'm going through golden periods where that £100 is bringing me back 250 mm -hmm. It sort of peaks and drops through the year. But at the moment, as we're into early November now, they seem to be uh, working very well, bringing me in a little over double. I think I... I think the Christmas market helps me for some reason. Um, I, I sell a lot more paperbacks November, December. I'm not sure if that's your experience. Um, I haven't really checked. I probably should. I should. You haven't checked it out? Yeah, that would be an interesting one to have a look at. I think it would be an interesting thing for us to talk about. Not now, because last year you released a non-fiction book last Christmas, and that went mental. I remember that. Um, yes. Yeah, that, that's huge. That's That, that really takes off in November yeah, for me. I think just lastly on this week, um, back to the mother-in-law she likes psychological thrillers <laughs> uh, after years right. of telling her to read your books i got her to download betsy blake this week and she thinks oh, she is nice. loving it she thinks it's brilliant so she hasn't oh, got to brilliant. the end yet but um she told me the other day she thinks she knows what's oh, going right. on i was like yeah you haven't got a clue <laughs> like, no you don't no you don't Okay, that's interesting. Oh, let's let's find out. Yeah, I can't so, wait to find so out. So there you go, everyone. Next week we find out what my mother-in-law thinks of David's biggest book. <laughs> what a hook for next week. <laughs> that's the hook. That's it. Brilliant. Okay, well then, yeah, I mean we've so we've both been busy in different aspects, um, painting ceilings and, and getting words on page, but it's been a productive week. But we do promise that the week that was, which is how we start our show every week, we'll get a bit more diverse now as, as the show yeah. goes on. Two in the so that brings us on to this week's talking point. And myself and Robert, we're going to dive deep into why we feel independent publishing is much more beneficial than the slog of going through the traditional route. And in fact, Rob, this was sort of this discussion, this talking point that we're going to go through today was inspired by a Facebook post you saw this week. Yes, I did. I snapshotted it and I sent it to you immediately. Yes. Now, um, Robert gets irate about Facebook posts, but this one, his face was Alex Ferguson level purple, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't have as much uh, love for the man as you do, but yeah, I was probably <laughs> spewing it like Alex Ferguson when he doesn't have eight minutes of injury time added on. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so essentially, what is it? There's, you'll probably know if you're active in the indie author community. There's there's a large number of small independent publishers um, that offer you know 
getting your book out there. Um, but most of the time, they're, they're probably not doing that much more than what you yourself are doing as an independent author, even if you're signed with them. However, there was a, a post came out this week from, um, I saw this through an author, not through the publisher. I didn't really know about the publisher, to be fair, um, but I do know the author. And he basically said, said that his books are being cancelled from being published next year. They were on the docket to be published next year. They've been pulled. Um, and he was distraught in his message. Um, mm. And he's apologising to readers, which um, obviously wound me up. But then I read the he shared the post of his publisher. Um, and I'm not going to read it for back. There's them basically saying they've had to make the, the unfortunate decision to cancel a lot of pre-order titles um, for December, for January, and as far as July next year. Now, obviously, these things happen. The world is in a you know, mad place at the moment. Yeah. However, there, there was this line in it that I think underlined exactly why, A, we're talking about this topic today, and B, why we're doing this podcast. And this was the reason they're doing it. This is because the production costs far outweigh any expected revenue based on pre-order value and revenue earned from previously published titles. Now, that... Yeah, I mean, your reaction there says it all. Like well, that there that, yeah. is, I think it's an abhorrent way of breaking the news to your readers that you're essentially saying these these books we're doing aren't worth it. Um, so yeah, th- that this is what's inspired us talking about why being indie is a much better route than being traditional. Um, but I imagine David, in a way, this is probably like flared up some past memories because i don't think yeah. that's massively dissimilar to to the story you had for me when when we first started talking yeah it's similar to my experience i i think you've used the word abhorrent there it's it, that's that's a strong word but it's probably not even strong enough in this instance because this is a total lack of professionalism and even more so a total lack of awareness to even put those words out there to 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 phrase it that way to say well we're not going to earn as much money on these titles you know it's what you're what they're basically saying there is our authors are just a commodity yeah for us there's there's no care for the author or even the the author's mental health or you know their talents in this regard and it's it's similar it's not as unprofessional as my experience i was with a slightly bigger publishing company than that i would call them a medium-sized publishing company, I guess. They've yeah, sold five or fair. six million books over the past six or seven years. But it, I was very excited when I signed my first publishing deal. I signed the three-book deal. Um, and I thought, here we go. I'm going to be a full-time author. Um, figured out within about five months of that deal. I think I explained this on the first yeah. show that we did. That uh, you know, When I looked at my first check, it was £500 for months and months of sales which was a disappointment, but the bigger disappointment was I really, I, I realized I was just a commodity. They didn't care really about, they didn't even care if my manuscripts were going to be as brilliant as I wanted them to be. They only cared about how can we package this and make profit from it, which is fine because publishing is a business. Yeah. But when, when you're signing up so many authors and you're giving authors um, what they perceive to be their dream, uh it's 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 kind of gross when you get under the hood of these publishing companies these smaller publishing companies to realize that they couldn't care less about the person behind the package that they think they can sell and that's yeah it's 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 one of those things where it's a really horrible like term of phrase but it's like you throw as much stuff at the wall and see what sticks Yes, and obviously, I've taken a naughty word out of that phrase because I don't want to <laughs> swear that much. But and that's not to downplay people's works. Like everyone's manuscript, everyone's book has a purpose. It's got a lot of love put into it and everything. But if if you're swallowing up all these books, there's only so much time and effort publishers can put into them. Especially yeah. if they're small press. If they're a small press, if they're a couple of you know two people, three people strong. And you're taking on all these books and you throw them all out there. 
some are going to hit bigger than others. Yeah. Like so, some are they, you know, some are just more tailored to a certain market. They'll all have a little bit, I imagine a little bit of a marketing budget behind them. Some of those might connect better. Like we've just spoken about, you get a you know, golden ticket of an ad and it can, it can work wonders for you. Yeah. But then it's like you're saying, cause these books and these authors are commodities. It's a business. So if you're spending, I don't know, a thousand pounds on one book and you're getting five thousand pounds back and then you're spending a thousand pounds on another book and you're just breaking even yeah what one are they going to invest the next thousand pound on exactly and i mean we're going to go into this now we'll go into this in in detail of why specifically independently publishing is much better than going down the traditional route but that was the sort of turning point for me apart from seeing the check which was only 550 pounds for me for for five months of sales um I realized as I got under the hood of the publisher I was with that my capability was to write two to three books a year. Uh-huh. Um, but they were releasing three books a week. So, uh, of course, if they're going to, if they're releasing 150 books over a year, they're going to uh-huh. be making big money, whether some are losses and some are gains. So what they were doing essentially was signing up authors and with just hope they'd package a book up, send it out there, and hope as you say that you know some of it would stick yeah some of it would make profit and of course it made profit because they were they were a profitable business but the authors that they had signed were i was finding insignificant yeah there there was no humanity to it it was all about you know we'll sign this up we'll throw a thousand pound at it and hope it brings back two thousand pounds but they're doing that with three books every week yeah so yeah, it it, it, it it doesn't it benefits them, but the authors don't benefit. Yeah. There's just there's no way you can make um I made a hundred over a hundred thousand pounds last year from my books. There's no way I would there's no chance I would earn that with a deal from one of those publishing companies. No. And yeah, you take the money side out of it. I mean obviously we do it as a business, we do this for a living. So the yeah, there's there's no money isn't a dirty word. When you say like, you know, you definitely yeah. what makes you money. I think, you know, there's a lot of people who try and disassociate, you know, well, we're writing, so it's art or whatever's yes. creative. Yeah. At the end of the day, it needs to make money. Otherwise we wouldn't be able to do this as full time for full time living. Absolutely. But if we take the money aspect of it, the the post I read out, um, which you could probably still say, I'm still quite seething about it. <laughs> that the the bit that gets me taking it stripping away the the thing about the commodity is the impact this kind of post would have and it is having on the actual author themselves right yeah. because like you said you get this dream i most people want to write a book and get it published you know i had this have many years ago when i got my first publishing contract where i was like oh my god i'm a published author this is ridiculous this is further than i ever thought i could get so their book's now not going to be published which is you know smashing of the dream isn't it it's crushing that that's yeah. soul destroying they're yeah. being told that but they have also now publicly stated the reason they're doing it is because these people aren't worth the money yes to invest in yeah so not only does these do these authors feel like oh well, my dreams are being crushed it's also because i'm not good enough and i just think the way that's been done would never happen if you're looking after your own interests, looking after your own books, like you're saying, because the only person I really have to answer to is me. And I've said numerous times already that no one will ever care more about your books than you do. Like that is my belief. Um, yeah, we're going to get that in... on a T-shirt, aren't we? You, you need that yeah. on a T-shirt, Robert. You always say that. Yeah, nobody yeah. say it again, Robert. Nobody is going to care more about your books than you. Yeah, it's hundred yeah. percent true. And yeah. yeah, I'm not an independent author because like I have to be. Yeah, but I I'm one because I choose to be because mm-hmm. of all the things we spoke about, the control, all this stuff. But it's so things like this can't happen. Um, and. I just think it's worth us talking about it because I just think you can get 
yeah, it's a lot more work to be an independent author. Yeah. You have to do all the stuff. You have to, you have to, you know, there's a lot of plates you have to spin. And hopefully this podcast will help people figure out how to do that, or at least we'll share how we spin those plates. Yeah. But I just think the upside of it means you would never get, like you spoke about in the first episode, the amount of rejection you get from stuff, um, from sending your book out. And yeah. you think of the rejection these people, have, these authors are feeling now. It's just, I mean, I'm as irate as you are about this. One, because they have taken this decision, which is a very unprofessional decision. But secondly, that press release that they announced, that is, it's basically just saying our authors are not worth it. They're not worth our investment. It's it's a totally unprofessional press release. It's disgusting, actually, Um, I have to say. And whoever worded that, needs to have a long look at themselves. Yeah, they really do. It, it, it's not right. I think at this point, because we, we keep brushing on this, but we, we haven't necessarily sort of gone deep into it is the idea of self publishing or what me and Robert prefer to call independently publishing. Th- there was a stigma attached to that. That stigma has eroded, right? That's mm. gone. There, there is no stigma attached to it. It's similar to um, you know, I think I probably mentioned this in an earlier episode as well. It's, it's similar to the music industry or mm-hmm. the movie industry. The people who are doing it independently rather than signing up to big record labels or big movie studios, they are the ones in control. And they're the ones making the best stuff, by the way. Uh, same with uh, authors. A lot of, a lot of the, the best books coming out now are independently published. And so they should be because you don't want to be giving away 60% of your royalties to a publishing company who will probably inevitably let you down. And as well, for every book sold, they're going to be earning more money on it than you are, mm-hmm. uh, which is crazy. And it, but there's there's no gatekeepers anymore. That's the thing, isn't it? That's the it's, thing. Yeah, it's they used to be. They used to, they then they used to be. You know, thirty years ago, you didn't have. You know, yeah. Well, probably had like the beginnings of the internet and stuff like that, but you didn't have access to the world like you do on your phone exactly. now. But well, a good way I always put it is. Travel agents are redundant now, right? Because as you say, there's no gatekeepers. You don't need a travel agent to plan your holiday anymore, right? Because we have access to be able to do that ourselves. We book our own flights, book our hotels, our our, um, transport to and from the hotels. That gatekeeper, the internet has killed. Yeah, essentially, in in, in most walks of life. Yeah, exactly. Um, But, you know, you'd find most of the people who look down their noses at the beginning of the independent publishing boom, if we can call it that, yeah, were probably people who were linked to the gatekeepers because you know, they, they can see this thing growing and eroding away at their, you know, the castle that they built for themselves, like this big pedestal that they're sat on. And suddenly, you know, they don't get to decide who gets published anymore. Yeah. So that's so true. Um, I think, I think there's, there's, there's this romantic notion, isn't there, Robert? Sorry, I've, I've cut across no, you there. There's this romantic notion that I'm going to write a book and it's going to be so good that I'm going to be the next Stephen King or J.K. Rowling. But the, the truth of that is that's like saying, oh, I'm going to be a footballer and I'm going to be Manchester United Premier League, right? Mm. It, it just happens to so few people. Most footballers are earning between 500 and and a thousand pounds a week, right? Because they're playing in, yeah. in lower divisions all around the country. It's only the sort of Cristiano Ronaldo's and, and you know, the, the, these big players at Man City and Man United and Real Madrid who are who are the Stephen Kings of football. It's the same. Yeah. In, you can't say, I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to be the next Tom Cruise because there's very few Tom Cruises. It's a bit like saying, I'm going to play the lottery and win. Exactly. So most published traditionally published authors are earning well actually i have a statistic on this i don't know whether i can pull it out, but it's it's less than ten thousand pound a year right yeah i've so, read that yeah it's, I, I think it was a big thing i don't know whether it was in the guardian or another newspaper but so most footballers are not earning two hundred fifty thousand pound a week most actors are not getting 15 million a movie most traditionally published authors are not getting stephen king numbers and 
the notion that you need to have those publishing deals and you need your book to be in the WH Smith book of the week um, display in their shop yeah. is not nonsense. Do you know how much that costs to get in there? That book of the week, Richard and Judy, is that, are they still the thing now? That's I think they're still, still the thing. Yeah. They're still the thing. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're still relevant. Apparently like their, their opinion on books apparently matters, but apparently this was what, five, six years ago. Whenever I was with my publisher, that costs like 10 grand to get that sticker put on your book. Right. It's probably unlikely you get that 10 grand back or, or, yeah. and it's, or it's if you like, do, well, that's, that's it. So you break even. That's vanity, isn't it? That one. So um, I, I think, you know, the point you're making there about gatekeepers being gone, like the world is also the reason the stigma is going is also the world is more primed now towards the entrepreneur. Yeah. Like so much of the stuff you see on, yeah, independence and not working for the man. And, you know, you read the stuff all the time and, you know, people slow, was it like quietly quitting jobs because they're not being treated well? And, um, but then you look on TV as well, like some of the biggest TV shows like Dragon's Den, it's all about people of going out and working for themselves and, you know, knocking down those perceived gates and the barriers yeah. that stop people from, you know, becoming their own boss or, or, or leveling up, say, and becoming rich or whatever it is your end goal is to be. And, you know, they're even targeting that now at younger people, like the audience yeah. for Dragon's Den, because they, they brought Stephen Bartlett in. I, I think Stephen Bartlett's fantastic. Yeah, He's, we're big fans of Stephen in this house as well. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to plug another podcast on this podcast, but his <laughs> diary of a CEO one is exceptional. Yeah. But you know, he's a young guy who speaks a lot of sense about the idea of putting yourself first, you know, working to get that. And it's not all just about money. It's about your time and your lifestyle now, because the yeah. world's full of, stress and nonsense and crazy stuff that's out of your control so if you can put things that are in your control such as your work-life balance and who you yeah who you report to essentially yeah is is key which is now why you know if you say i'm an independent author you know i do it for a living that's not seen as like oh so you're not a real author it's actually like oh that's cool so yeah well, that, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. The gatekeeper, the, the internet has killed the gatekeeper because we can all reach audiences ourselves. We don't need these agents or these middlemen, as I call them, um, to help us bridge that gap between the talent and the audience because we can do that ourselves, which is the, the main benefit. Um, that that we, I mean, we, we'll probably go in deep into that now over the next few minutes. But oh, it, go on then, David, it, quickly. You've got, you've always talking about the benefits of, being an indie why don't you give us some of your best benefits of being an indie author hammer at home hammer at home um well top of my head the autonomy the control uh, control over everything the marketing the covers the blurbs the pricing um i can even change my manuscript if i want to um so yeah the 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 key word for me is autonomy i'm in total control over every aspect of my author business as are you robert so It, it, and here's the one thing, right? This this would probably sum it up for a lot of our, our listeners and, and maybe it might be the sort of light bulb moment for them. A traditional publisher will market your books upon release. They might have a budget of a thousand pound or if it's a big publisher, they might have a budget of 10,000 pound where they're going to push your book and market it, right? That book might do well over its release date. It might not. But that's the end of the marketing, right? Mm-hmm. When that budget is gone and they probably, they'll probably market it for about a month or two months or if it's doing well, they might you know, stretch it out to three months. But then that's it. That's that book's marketing done. Me as an independent author with this autonomy and this control that I keep saying, I'm still marketing books that I released three years ago that are bringing me in thousands of pounds profit a month. And I will continue till the day I die marketing these books and they will bring in profit for me. In fact, my daughter, after I die, can continue marketing those books forever. So 
a publishing company is not going to do that for you. Your your book with a publishing company will have a very short shelf life of when it's going to sell. Whereas if you own it, you own all of the rights to it, you can market it forever. You can make profit on it forever. I mean, that's absolutely hammering at home there, David. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the big benefit of independence. And I'm not just talking about authoring there. That 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 independence in any sort of walk of life. If you have mm. the control over it, well then you own it and you can own it for as long as you want. Yeah. There's no there's no publishing company, Robert, big or small, that would still be marketing Betsy Blake or one of my earlier titles or one of your earlier titles now, right? That marketing will be gone. Oh, I didn't even get any marketing with my publisher, but yeah, no, I know what you yeah. mean. Yeah. Like they they wouldn't I mean, I'm not gonna pry, but I imagine Betsy Blake is still up there as one of your most profitable books this year. Yeah, it still goes. It still ticks along. Yeah. And that came out, what, three, four years ago now? 2000... Early 2019. So, yeah, three and a half years ago. And so, yeah. So, your, one of your highest earners for your full-time job would be just just back in their catalogue somewhere. If someone's interested, they could do it. Unless you yourself dipped into your pocket and made their money off your own money. So. Well, that's actually why I became independent. Because um, the publishing house that i was with had sort of did that they spent maybe a thousand pound marketing the book and then i realized they weren't marketing it anymore after a couple of months and i thought oh well i'll start marketing i started to learn about facebook ads oh so and then i start marketing and putting ads out for my book and then as i was seeing results coming in said oh yeah this is getting clicks for you know everybody's clicking this for 10p uh, it's costing me 10p per click i said oh people are going to be buying this book right and I thought, what am I making the publishing company money? <laughs> I'm spending on the marketing and I'm making them more money than I was making myself. Plus, I couldn't see the figures. Yeah. They owned the data. So I couldn't see how many were being bought and, and what was going on. And, and I realized I take these books back. I market them myself. I see all the data. I take all the money. It just, it just makes, from where me and you are sitting now today, Robert, it makes no sense. And I know we've both been offered publishing deals. In fact, I was offered a publishing deal by the company you're talking about oh right. who, who sent that email they contacted me when they were setting up but um and i also said in an early episode i wouldn't take a hundred thousand pounds advance now from a publishing company for any of my books because i believe i will earn more than that with the book not i won't release it and it will give me a hundred thousand pounds i just know that i can keep marketing this book for the next 50 years and that over time will, over time it will bring mm -hmm. in that money i'm certain of it i wouldn't oh. sign a publishing deal with any house now but that's with the comfort of sitting where i am now and the experience i've been through yeah and and you know we you've been through it that's the thing you've been through it you've worked yeah. through it you've you know honed your craft you've figured out how to do all this stuff and you know it's it's a long journey to learn all that stuff but it's worth it it's worth doing and I'm not going to get annoyed again, <laughs> but <laughs> if you, by being independent, you are not at the whim of someone else. Like the post we saw, like, I don't have someone there who can deem whether my book is worth publishing or not. I know it's worth publishing because I own all my data. I see all my sales. I have all the money from the books and the sales that they've made. Yeah. And that's the thing. If you're independent and you work hard at it and you figure out how to do these things and all the information is available, it just takes a bit of time, takes a bit of investment. But I don't have to go and pitch to an apparent expert to see if they're going to take a chance on my book. Yeah. Because, and then for them to decide whether it's good enough to sell or not. Exactly. Because this person has deemed a load of authors that was originally signed, this publisher originally signed them, has now deemed them not worthy of her of their investment. Yeah, and it, it, well, it's true. And I think an awful lot of the, the modern publishing companies um, that I said when we're talking about, the ones that I was um, assigned to, they really only are people who figured out how to self-publish mm -hmm. and then opened up a publishing arm 
and and decided that we'll take on 50 authors a year and we'll sell you know however however amount of thousands of books and we'll, we'll have a big profitable business which is fine that's fine if that's what you want to do i hold no ill regard to them apart from when they do stupid things like that publisher did releasing that statement this week um that's fine if that's what you want your business to be but there is nothing nothing that they can do that you or i can't do with a laptop sitting at home nothing no they don't have the ear of important people they don't have keys to unlocked doors like yeah it's just all of that is gone so in my opinion and i'm pretty sure based on what you've heard from david in david's opinion too we very much believe that being an independent being independently published is a much better way to go than trying to seek traditional publishing in this day and age definitely 100% i would say right i'm going to leave it there cuz i'm just going to get more and more irate so <laughs> well that's the talking point to so, David, now we've had a chance to cool down, calm down. Yes. Um, we will dip our hand into the mailbag. Yes. Um, and we actually had a question posed to us on Facebook this week uh, by Johnny Denham. Um, and he has asked, um, I have a plan for a trilogy and I know the bigger plot points that I want to happen. How do you work around filling in the gaps or the journey, so to speak, between each large point, each large plot point to keep the reader interested? Which I think is quite a very good question to ask you. Um, so how yeah. would you do that? Um, it is interesting. Um, Johnny obviously has his idea and maybe he's plotted out where the story will go in bullet points. That's mm. what he's asking. right? And then how do you fill? How do you write the prose in between each bullet point? Yeah, I imagine if you've got three, four big set pieces to yeah. your like book, whatever, how do you go from big set piece A to big set piece B with trying to keep the reader engaged between? Yeah, it's um, it, it, it's all about prose, I guess. And I mean, yeah, I've taught creative writing, so I, I've sort of addressed this question. And it's, it's a very difficult one to answer, I guess, in four or five minutes. I would normally do lecture upon lecture on how to do this. <laughs> but uh, excuse me, sorry. <coughs> I hope everyone's ready for the longest answer ever. <laughs> okay, listeners, take a lie down. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question. I guess it's it's a big question for just a mailbag. It might be something we, 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 we tackle again at some point. But, I mean, if I take, let's take one of my books for an example. It's... It, I, I've often done this when I've gone into a, a college or uni. I've taken one of my books as an example, sim simply because I know the bullet points that I'd written out. Mm -hmm. And then I can read out the chapter that made that bullet point come alive. Whereas I can't bring a Stephen King book in or something because I don't know the bullet point that Stephen King had written down in order to make this come alive. So at least I can relate to what I'm doing. But if you take the opening of one of my books, The Coincidence, for example, yeah. um. I had a bullet point. So chapter one or the, the sort of opening act was going to be this woman going to prison for the very first time. That was the bullet point, her first day in prison. So that's what I, that's literally what all I had on the page. And over 3000 words, I wrote the opening chapter, which was all just about her first day in prison. So it starts with her in the back of a van being in handcuffs, being driven to the prison and her sort of thoughts and her her emotions as this is happening and then suddenly she's going through these metal doors and and then she's at this sort of reception area where somebody is taking details then she goes into another room where she's sort of stripped and she has to squat to make sure she's got nothing in her anus and then she's classic. given this classic and then she's sort of given these prison clothes and She's handcuffed again and she's walked down the long corridor towards a prison cell and she's hearing all these screeches in the distance and this hollow noise of the prison. And, and then suddenly, clunk, she's locked in behind the prison door for the first time. And that's the opening chapter. And I got 3,000 descriptive words out of that, the whole, the whole journey to that prison cell, which included, and it's always very 
it's it, it's it's a tip you probably learned in secondary school, but it's one that rings true. If if you can emote as many senses as you can, like so, yeah. whatever the five senses are, you're really bringing your plot to life. So in true that I'm talking about the noises of the prison, I'm talking about how scared she feels and she's trembling. I'm talking about what what she can see. So if you're if you're emoting those senses and sort of bringing that that bullet points to life in as much detail as you can. I guess that's probably my best answer for Johnny in, in a few minutes. So I, I started off with one, one bullet point, which was just one sentence. It's, it's her first day in prison. And then I, I, I took the reader on a journey of what that would be like. So that's, that's a very good answer. And it's probably more valuable uh, than mine because you're obviously a creative uh, writing lecturer. Um, I, so I is, is that how you start, Robert? Do you do you do you have bullet points? You, yeah, yeah. And then, so how would you? So Sam Pope is sort of what's an opening to one of your books? Then what's a bullet point look like? So bullet point in literally the latest book, the one I started writing this week, is he's 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 not on the he's on the run, but he's kind of like just living off the grid a little bit, and he's now in Glasgow. He just got on the train, went to Glasgow, and he's reflecting on what he's been through. That's kind of how I start the books, is you just kind of give like a brief summary of what's gone on that's led yes. to this point. Right, yeah. Um, but he's now working in like a haulage yard, like a scrap yard, where people know he's Sam Pope, but yeah, they're all quite like nice working class people who actually think he's he's a benefit to the country. So they're just, you know, keep your head down and, you know, just be one of the guys. And he's, he's met a woman, which is never really on the cards in his books. So he's now contemplating, it's been like four months and he hasn't gone looking for trouble. So maybe he's actually found, instead of looking for trouble, he's actually found something better. And that's literally the first chapter. It's just him in the haulage yard and just being descriptive of how he's feeling, what he's lost, how he is. Um, But like, I have a bullet point of one of the bad guys that I'm introducing into this book yeah. called Mr. Hudson. Um, I'm quite yes. excited to write him. I think he's going to be quite a cool character. He's very calm. But right. one of the bullet points is Hudson's backstory. I don't know what that is yet, but I would yeah. expand that into a good two, 3,000 words. Yeah, that's a big um, chunky chapter for you, just based on that one bullet point. Yeah, but yeah. the only things I would say, because I think you summed it up brilliantly with like making, just bringing the senses to life, like, you know, describe yeah. things. Don't be afraid yeah. to describe stuff. That was, yeah. I think that's why I went wrong in my when I first started. Was I'd be like, well, that's boring. People don't want to read about what the decor is in this building. Yeah. yeah and then yeah, I was yeah. like, the more I read books, the more like, oh, actually, no, they do. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's true. I'd, I'd say the two things I go by is if I have a character motivation, so I don't know what the trilogy could be, someone's setting off on a journey. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like quite a, a big trilogy. Someone's setting off on a journey. Why? Like, what is it? Yeah. What, what, what's causing that to happen? Yeah. And if you can pick apart motivations of people. So, I know, like, you know, the biggest one you get is Lord of the Rings is, well, why don't they just use the flying eagles to go straight to Mordor and drop the ring in from a big height if, it, if the, yeah. the, the eagle can get there at the end or whatever? But yeah. So I always think, I just to explain motivations. If a bad guy's got a motivation, what is the motivation? Like, what yeah. and why can't he get to a different resolution, a different way? Um, like those types of things. Very good. Yeah. And That's the other so one true. I have is things just can't just happen. Like, don't rely on coincidences. Yeah. Like for things to happen. Like, yeah. I make I make sure in Sam Pope things are plotted out to the point where like. If he has a gun, the way he gets to that gun is plotted out. It's not just, oh, he opens a drawer and there's a gun. How lucky. Yeah. It's, there's a, and you have to drop those breadcrumbs in. Yeah. So yeah. J- just think about the whole, the whole thing in that way. Yeah. I just have a bit of a practice at it, Johnny. Take a bullet point and sort of see if you can bring it to life through descriptive prose over a thousand words or two thousand words. The other thing to bear in mind is how you're going to tell your story. So what's the narrative style? Are you going to tell this in third person, omniscient? 
Are you going to tell it in third person? Are you going to tell it in first person? So how you're going to tell your story will dictate how that prose comes to life then. Yeah, the most important thing is to just start doing it. Yeah. You, you cannot write a book unless you write a book. Okay, and it's time for our seven questions. I am delighted to announce that we have the fantastic crime writer Tony Forder with us today. Morning, Tony. Good morning, David. Great to be here. Thank you for us. Great to hear from you. Yeah, Not at all. No, it's, it's our pleasure. Me and Robert are delighted to have you on. Um, we're very much aware of you. Could you give our listeners a bit of a debrief on your books and your, your career so far? Sure. Well, I, I'm a crime and thriller writer, um, mostly crime, I have to say. Um, I, I'm best known for my D.I. Bliss series. Um, I'm just about to release book 10 in that series. Um, but I also have another, I started a new crime series last year, and I'm just writing the second one of those. I have a two book mini series, which is action adventure stuff, something I started writing for my dad, actually. And then I also have a couple of standalone books. One is a, a dark kind of psychological thriller, which is the darkest book I've ever written. And I also have a kind of a mystery uh, kind of thriller set out in uh, California. So it's a kind there's a, there's a bit of variety there and I and I kind of come away from the crime every now and then just to, um just as I don't get too comfortable. Oh fantastic. What what's the what's the first book in the DI Bliss series that our our, re, our listeners might be able to get hold of? The the first book is called Bad to the Bone. Yes, it is indeed. I, I, right. I've read yeah. that. Highly recommended as well. So, Robert, I think we'll get to the seven questions for Tony. Do you want to begin with question number one? Yes, absolutely. Um, Tony, question number one in the hot seat. Yeah. Are you a full-time author? I am full-time. Um, have been for just over four years now. Um, my first few books, when they were published, I, I was working... Um, but I was working for myself at the time because I'd been made redundant and I started my own consultancy business. So I mm -hmm. was for the first 18 months, I was working uh, sort of between two and three days a week and also writing between two and three days a week. Uh, but then, um, yeah, I, I just suddenly realized that the writing was going well, everything was going well. And that I wanted to concentrate more on that and uh, to have a little bit of self-belief finally. Um, and that's what I did. I, I, I dropped my business and, and went into this full time. And, uh, you know, I'm delighted that I did because, I, I, you know, when you've loved writing as long as I have, um, to be doing it for a living is, uh, is wonderful. Yeah, fantastic. fantastic. It's, it's amazing. Um, so... Could you give us a quick walkthrough of what your working week is? Yeah, well, when I'm disciplined and, <laughs> uh, and um, you know, when I've not got much else going on in my life, I try to be fairly rigid. So um, I usually do about uh, three two-hour sessions. So I'll start off about half eight, something like that, nine o'clock maybe. Um, and then I'll write until lunchtime. We have a fairly early lunch. Um, and then it's back into it again, a quick tea break, and then back into it again. Um, so, you know, I, I try to get six, and then that might not be six hours of writing because obviously there's a bit of business going on as well. So I tend to yeah. look at my, get rid of my emails and, and stuff like that first thing and then last thing, and then in the middle, just, you know, concentrate on the writing. So, yeah, when I'm disciplined, um, which is as often as I can make it, and I'm getting back into that now after a very busy year. Um, yeah, I, I, I find that the flow of everything goes so much better when I can put that six-hour day together. Yeah, absolutely. How long does it take, incidentally, for you to write a, finish a book? 
Well, that varies. I mean, this year was all quite bad because uh, I, you know, I had a bit of upheaval this year. Just mainly good upheaval. But in we you know, we moved home and we went abroad for our daughter's wedding, and there were people working in the house, so it was very hard to sit down and write properly. But normally yeah. speaking, I'll, I'll probably do the first draft in a couple of months. And then leave it for a month and then come back into it and edit for maybe I, I probably I spend more time editing than writing the book. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's about a four or five month process. It is. Yeah. Easily. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Easily. Yeah. That's a similar, similar time frame to me. Um, thanks, Tony. So question two of our seven questions, uh, which is a big debate amongst us in the authors. Are you wide or exclusive? <laughs> um, I, I'm uh, extremely exclusive. Um, I, I, I set out with the idea that I would spread my wings wider. Um, I we mean, all when do. I first, <laughs> yeah, when I first yeah. went into this um, to do it on my own, I thought, well, you know, let's let's not take on too much. Let's be realistic. I want to spend some time writing, so um, I don't want it to be all business. So I set everything up on Amazon, um, and of course you. I mean, I kind of knew beforehand with the royalties I was getting from my publisher, but once it was on my own and I was seeing how it was going firsthand, um, I could see that um, Kindle Unlimited was, uh, you know, quite a large part of my income. Um, yeah. You know, across the year, it's probably about 60%. And there are mm -hmm. certain times when it's a lot lower because when I release a book, I, send a, I sell a lot more copies, of physical copies or eBooks. Um, but yeah, and then I thought, well, do I want to spend an awful lot of time trying to go wider on something that might fail or accept what I've got here is going pretty well and not, you know, what's the purpose of that next leap? What is it going to give me more than I'm getting now? You know, I could get books into bookshops more easily. Um, but is that such a big thing? It was a huge thing for me when I started. But once you've got over that yeah. part and you've achieved that, you think, well, what's next? Is that as important to me? Um, and I'm not saying I would never go wide and try and go wide and try and get my books in book, into bookshops. But actually, at the moment, this is working well for me. And, you know, I'm not sure I could. I want to devote that amount of time to setting it all up and managing it. Um, I'd rather be yeah. writing, frankly. Exactly. It's a lot of plates to spin, isn't it? When you when yeah. you're when you're wide. I, I tried it for about two months and I, I it, yeah. it didn't make sense. And like you, well, a little less. About forty percent of my income is KU. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I I don't want to put that at risk. Is the first thing. Can I replace it all? Can I replace more? And ultimately, it is the workload. I I you know I I want to devote you know my few brain cells to writing rather than trying to run <laughs> yeah. all these things, have all these things going. Um, I've, you know, if I was 20, 30 years younger, I might, I might try it or I might, I might even employ someone yeah. to do it for me. But um, yeah. no, I'm, I'm happy where I am. Nice. Okay. And let's get into the, the meat then of your indie art career. What's question three, Robert? Question three. Ooh. Name the one service you as an indie author cannot do without. Well, to tell the truth, um, I'm not as, I, I mean, I am an indie author, so I'm not published by anybody at all, but I, I'm not an independent person when it comes to producing my books, um, because unlike some people, I don't do my own covers, I don't do my own typesetting, I don't do any of that, you know, so I think all yeah. the services I use are important. So I have a wonderful cover designer who I've been working with right from the off. And she, she's brilliant. And she, um, you know, we're kind of in sync with each other. As soon as I describe what I'm writing and what I want, she produces it for me. And she's spot on every time. Um, likewise, I have a good editor um, and I have a typesetter who I can rely on. And they all, you know, I, I pay them to do a job um, and they do it much better than I could do it. And they do it much quicker than I could do it. And they do it in the time that I would have spent doing it. I, I'm now spending writing. So I, I just think for me, it's worth paying out that money to other people to get all these things done for me. And so I rely on them all as a service. 
Yeah. And there's just so many, isn't there? There's so many services that we do need. But yeah, it, it's interesting. Yeah. We are independent, but of course we need all of these experts in their field to um, to help us along Absolutely. the way. Well, if you want um, a professional product at the end of the day, I think you, you yes. go with people who know what they're doing. You do, yeah. And, and I guess bringing this to question four of our seven questions, um, the biggest sort of expenditure for us as independent authors is marketing. So, so how is it that you market your books, Tony? Yeah. Well, uh, in a limited way on Facebook, um, I tried Facebook quite a bit. And after spending, you know, probably 18 months trying to work out the best way to run that, I've, I pretty much only keep a presence on Facebook now. Um, just so oh, really? that people still, yeah, people still see my adverts popping up now and then. My main advertising is through Amazon um, because there's instant feedback with Amazon. Um, yeah. You can see a direct correlation between those who click on your links and those who buy. And for me, that keeps me in touch with how well they're doing. Um, and at first it was, again, like anything, you have to learn it. Um, and I made mistakes when I first started. Um, I did a bit of a course on how to set things up more expertly. And I, I probably now on average get about 50% more in than I've spent. Brilliant. Okay, great going. Yeah, profit. That's that's what yeah. we're looking for. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. So that's interesting. Me and Robert are predominantly Facebook, mm -hmm. but you're predominantly AMS, which is the Amazon advertising platform. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably only because, uh, I mean, as you know, Facebook will use up all the money you set aside on a day, you know. Um, yes, they I do. I mean, I know they've changed things slightly just lately, but if you say I want you to spend, under, you know, £100 a day, they'll spend £100 a day. Whereas with Amazon, yeah. they'll, they'll only spend where it works properly. So, you know, I mean, yeah. I have... Every one of my books has got an Amazon ad going for it, and some work, some don't. Um, you know, I mean, I could spend quite a lot of day if they all came in, uh, you know, at the top yeah. value. But I probably don't understand Facebook well enough yet to make the most of it. And what I can't get over is I cannot, I don't exactly know how many of those clicks get turned into purchases. Yeah. Um, and I struggle with that. That's the... Um... That's the, the the golden spreadsheet that we don't That's get shared it. with us. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's a, yes. There are ways of trying to rig that to try and get that. Um, we obviously wouldn't recommend them because it goes against terms no. and conditions of um, yeah, certain sure. providers. And I did go against yeah. those and I got my wrist slapped quite badly. So, um, oh, yeah, right. I okay. think you, well, you, you want to know from. that. Yeah, that's... Yeah. That's the yeah. uh, the ticket, isn't it? It is a big frustration as an indie author not having that data, which brings us on to actually question six, Robert. Oh, am I six? I thought I'm five. Oh, no, we're on five. Sorry, I can't count today. It's one of those days. <laughs> David being the excellent mathematician again. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, question, question five um, is, what's the one thing you know now that you wish you knew from the outset? Um... Probably that there are really no rules. There is just advice. Um, I was very stuck yes. on what the rules were about this business, um, you know, how to write books, what you should and shouldn't do. And, you know, I was one of those people who bought loads of books on how to sort how you should approach the art of writing and how to get things, you know, with an agent, with a, a publisher, etc. But I found it all very, you know, it was all very nice to read, but I didn't find it that it took me anywhere and it didn't correlate with what I was reading because most people didn't do those things that they told you you yeah. had to do. Um, so I, I think take advice, but don't live by it, you know, because you are your own person. Um, but take advice from people who know it, who have been there and who've got the experience, learn from their mistakes. And also... Don't jump at the first offer that comes along. You know, if you believe in yourself, um, do your research properly. And when you, if you, if you're looking for a, a publisher, do that properly. But look at producing your own books. 
in a way that gets away from what you might read in a few Facebook groups. You know, research it properly because independent publishing can be everything and more that you get anywhere else. Um, and certainly in terms of the main thing that you have is control. Control over your own work. And it is your work. So why not have control over it? Yeah, that's great. I mean, what I spend a lot of time explaining, you've succinctly, succinctly put in one sentence there, Tony, there are no rules. There's only advice. It's, it's, it's yeah. something I, I, it took me a long time to learn as well. Yeah. Um, which brings us on to question six, which is what's your biggest frustration as an indie author? Um, I think we're probably one of the last group of people that can get lumped together when people are complaining. Um, I mean, I often see in Facebook groups people saying, oh, there's, there's too many typos in the indie books, so I'm not going to read indie books anymore. And that frustrates the hell out of me because why lump us all yeah. together? You may have read yes. a few indie books that have typos in them, but that doesn't mean to say we're all like that. Um, you know, and, yeah. and it frustrates me because I don't think these people in their normal walk of life would probably lump everybody together for the mistakes of one or two, but it seems okay because you're in an indie. It's almost as though, you know, we can't touch mainstream. We can't touch uh, independently published, but self-published, you know, you're fair game. Um, and I don't believe that's the case. I think, I think it is the case in some circumstances, but I think we're all far more professional now, even after only maybe two or three years doing it. Um, I, I think if you believe in your work, an independent publisher can publish, you know, work that anybody will read and, and, and is of a standard of any kind of writer. But I don't think that people should necessarily pigeonhole us. Brilliantly put. Absolutely. And from my experience, my books are a lot better edited now than they were when I was with my publishing company but sure that's for another discussion on another day yeah um, yeah well, I agree with you there. <laughs> yeah but yeah uh, but yeah the point you're making there Tony is is so great because like say you're going out in the town and you're going to stop for a coffee yeah, you know, and you stop at an independent coffee shop, so you're not going to Costa or Starbucks and you go to this yeah, you know, yeah. independent business and the coffee's not great you don't then yeah. immediately say, well, I'm never drinking in an independent coffee shop again. <laughs> exactly, I might not come yeah, back exactly. to this one because it wasn't yeah. great, but I'm, yeah. I'm not going to just dismiss every single coffee shop because I had exactly. one bad experience. Um, I think your point is perfect there. Luckily for you, you're on your last question now. Um, <laughs> okay. And actually, you've given us a lot of wisdom so far um, and some really good advice. <laughs> I'd be surprised if you know that. <laughs> Um, I want you now just to give us what would be the yeah. one piece of advice you would pass on to our listeners? Um, I think if you're trying to do this, um, being independent doesn't mean you're alone. Um, I, I think it's, it's vital that you talk to other people who have been there, done that, learn from their mistakes. There's no, there's no, no one's, I, I don't know any independent author who's going to say, well, no, you go and, you go away and do all that on your own and you learn from your own mistakes. I mean, you two do this because you want to share that and uh, I'm happy to share it with other people as well. I speak to quite a lot of other people about how to, how I do things that might not be necessarily how they do it. But, you know, as we, as we spoke about earlier, there are other people who get involved with your work. Um, and even that's even down to sort of beta readers and arc readers you're all part of what ends up out there to be read by other people. Um, and, and I think there's a chance of getting a bit too insular when you become independent. And I think you have to broaden that and certainly take advice, uh, as I say, from other people, because, um, but the right people. Um, reviews are wonderful, but, you know, you shouldn't take them overly to heart if they're critical. Um, but if you talk to people in the know about the business, they will give you the best advice because they've been there and they've done that. And I think that's the first thing you should do is talk to other people. Do all your writing that you need. 
to talk to other people about the, the, the best approach because we all have a different approach to writing, but I think we all have very similar ways in terms of publishing. Yeah. But t- Tony, that you're 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 a gentleman. You're and you're a very talented gentleman at that. Thank you so much for joining us for seven questions. It's been my pleasure. Thank you both for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tony. We'll we'll hopefully speak to you again soon. Oh, I know about you, David, but I thought that was an absolutely fascinating interview with Tony. He's so wise, isn't he? He's got, he's got the wise answers, and I guess it's from experience. He's been around the block. He's been with publishing arms. He's he's then decided to go independently, and, and I love some real nuggets of advice. Yeah, there. he's such a nice man as well. Um, yeah, you know, as we all are nowadays, we're all you know at the mercy of the internet. So um, obviously, if if there was any sound issues, um, we apologise. Um, we can't control the internet, sadly. So uh, um, yeah. Anyhow, but I'm sure all that wisdom came through yeah. anyway. Oh, it was great. He, some of the stuff he said was so on the money. Um, right. Um, before we go, what you got on this week, David? I am now at the redrafting stage of my novel. So I'm going to sort of, I write in multi points of view of maybe four or five different characters per book. So I'm going to go through each of those in sort of chronological order. I normally get a, a bit of a playlist that, you know, get a voice in my head for that particular character or who that character is. And I'll just go through that, listen to that playlist and make sure that that voice remains consistent in each of those four characters. I would like to have more time, but it has to be with the editor in a couple of weeks. Um, so that's what I'm going to do over the next week or two. What about you, Rob? Uh, me? I'm back to writing now. So NaNoWriMo. Um, like I said earlier, I've started. I'd like to make a significant dent in it by the time we uh, sit down to talk again. So, um, yeah, I've been that predominantly be it. I'll keep an eye on my uh, new Facebook ad to see if I can start you know, doing that switch over. Yeah, apart from that, yes. just writing, I guess. Nice. Let, yeah, let us, let us know next week how that ad's uh, getting on and, and I'll share some information on how my ads are doing too um, if our listeners want to reach out to you Rob uh, you, they can catch you you can find me on Facebook or Instagram as Rob Enright author um, or you can visit my website www.robertenright.co.uk David where can they find your sweet self you can find my sweet self at theopenauthor.com and if you have any questions for our mailbag or any ideas about what you would like us to talk about on Talking Points, or if indeed you would like to, like Tony did today, appear on our seven questions, you can find us on Facebook at Two Indie Authors. Indie.